Welcome, everybody. Nice to see you out. Thanks for coming to worship with us this morning, and so glad you could make it out and uh, sing some some great songs this morning. Thank you, Jim, for laboring in that, and Brother Bill, it's always a pleasure to hear you play, and uh, one of these days you'll be, you'll be pretty decent. And I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I always got to give Bill a hard time. chapter 17 this morning, John 17, this is Christ's high priestly prayer, we've been going through John for quite some time now, over a year and a half I guess we're going on, and uh, we're just about ending the, uh, coming to the end of the, of the gospel of John, um, but we've spent the last few weeks just really slowing down in John chapter 17, this is Christ's prayer, his high priestly prayer to the Father, um, and it's breaking up, broken up into three different sections. The first five verses are a prayer for, for himself to the Father, and then beginning in verse 6, going through 19, it's a prayer for his disciples, his 11 disciples, more than likely, and then ultimately the prayer ends with praying for all those who believe after the disciples, and so we have this just beautiful picture of Christ's heart for his people and for the gift that the Father has given them, which is his church, his bride. And we can see uh, just uh, some beautiful words. We see Christ praying often in, in, in the scriptures, but we don't see the actual words. We don't know the actual words, but this prayer we do. And so it's just been good to slow down and just really soak ourselves into this prayer and to see um, how he prays and to see uh, what's truly important. Um, in this world, there's so many different truth claims and uh, it seems like more and more this world just wants to accept truth whatever however they want to define it depending on our own selves and we see here that truth really relies in our creator absolute truth is found in our creator god who's revealed himself in scripture inspired scripture and uh, such a testimony and such an assurity we were talking in our sunday school this morning going over the attributes of God and his all-powerfulness. He, he knows all things. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. He's immutable. He's unchanging. All these attributes that he's revealed himself in his word and us who are in Christ, who have relationship with him through the gospel of Jesus Christ can take assurance in knowing that he is in control. And no matter how crazy this world might be looking with our physical eyes, we have an assurance of knowing that God working all things out for his glory. And uh, this is just another picture of that, his prayer. And beginning what we last, in verse 3, he identifies in John chapter 17 what eternal life is. Right? We, we have a truth claim here that eternal life, to have eternal life, to, to be restored and reconciled to our God uh, can be found in knowing the only true God sent, and that is Jesus Christ. As Jim mentioned this morning, to, to know Jesus is to know God, because God is ultimately God manifested in the flesh, and he says, as, John, as we've seen in John, and Jim mentioned this morning, if you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. If you know Christ, you know the Father. Jesus is the means in which you can have relationship with your creator God. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. That's from John 14, 6. And so this knowledge, we talked about this knowledge not just being a head knowledge, but a, a knowledge that is a, um, a personal knowledge when you encounter your need for, your, for Jesus as your Savior, when you encounter the, the holiness of God and how separate he is from us and from our sin and how his perfection and, and sinless, sinlessness uh, prevents us from having a relationship with him. And we have this deep need. Uh, we were created for him. We were created to be dependent on him. And because of our sin, we're separated from our God. And we have this deep need to be reconciled to him. And it is through the encounter of Jesus Christ, of hearing the gospel message that Jesus came. He stepped into his world. He, he, he came and lived the law, the, the law of God that's demonstrated in the Old Testament. He lived it to every jot and tittle. He, he performed it perfectly. He was the spotless Lamb of God, only to go to the cross and take the punishment of sin. Not his sin, but the sin of all who would believe. He took the punishment that our holy and just God demands. He is not holy and just unless he punishes sin. And Jesus took that punishment for all who would believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so we see this eternal life as Jesus defines in three is not just a system and a religious system. Eternal life isn't found there. Eternal life is found in an encounter, a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing your need for him, your separation from him because of sin, and turning and believing and trusting that he paid that penalty for you. And we talked last week about the importance as Jesus raised his disciples to the Father in prayer. He says, these are the ones that I've given your word to. To know God is to be given the word, the gospel message. And, and then he goes on to say that, he, that they received the word. He, they just didn't go one ear and out the other. They received it as truth. They received Jesus to be from God. They received that. And then they believed. They abandoned all hope and all to other things other than Christ. And it is the same for us today. To have eternal life is to have this personal encounter, this personal knowledge of God through an encounter with Jesus Christ and receiving him, receiving the gospel message that he died for you and believing and trusting in that alone. And that believing what happens, it's the miracle of all miracles Holy Spirit, scriptures declare, regenerates us, makes us born again, born from above. We're made a new creature in Christ. We're given a heart that is uh, new, that's made alive. So this belief is not just a mental transaction. This belief happens when you have this personal encounter with Christ. You are made a new creature. And you're given eternal life. And that is where we find ourselves this morning after someone receives the word, the gospel message, and believes the gospel message. And that belief turns into a living faith that the Holy Spirit who is promised for all those who would believe indwells the heart of the believer and begins to produce fruit. 
we are called for good works, and we have a belief. This belief turns into a, a, a living belief of faith that produces things for God and for his glory. And then those who are in that, in that position that have accepted Christ, have been given this new heart, have been given eternal life, we are declared to be not only justified, a judicial statement that we are justified in the eyes of a holy God because justice has been doled out on Christ. He was our representative. He went to the cross for us. That's a legal proceeding. But what we get to talk about today and what we see, what I think I, we see in Scripture, the next following verses in John 17, 9 through 11, is first we get to celebrate the fact that salvation is not just a legal justification, that it's a entering into of adoption into the family of God, to be adopted as a child of God. What a gift. So let's begin in verse 9. We'll read these passages and ask the Lord to help us once again. John 17, verses 9, beginning in verse 9, I pray for them. He's praying for his disciples, those who have received, believed, and, and have believed Jesus come from God. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in you. In verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name, which you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We ask that your spirit would move here. God, we so desire to draw close to you as we preach your word, Lord, as we proclaim your word, your truth, that your spirit would use this time, Lord, to make us more like Jesus, to convict us of our need for Jesus. God, we desperately need you to work in our midst. We are undone without you. And so we call out to you now, and Lord, we just ask that you guide this time. May all that is said, Lord, be your truth. We ask this in Christ's precious and powerful name. Amen. All right, so there's just three points that I wanted to point out of these three uh, verses. We're, again, slowing down here in this prayer, and uh, I just... As I was studying, you know, the temptation was to just kind of blaze through this prayer to kind of get done on a timeline, but the stuff is just too good to just to blaze through. And I thought since today was uh, the day we celebrate earthly fathers, today might be a good day to focus on adoption, being adopted into God's family. That this all-powerful, almighty, holy God has made a way for us to be adopted into his family, that we can call him God and Lord, the Alpha, the Omega, but we can also call him Abba, Father. And so the first thing that I see here in verse 9 is adoption, being adopted into God's family. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. There's a distinction between those who are outside of Christ and those who have believed and received Christ. John again and again demonstrates that to us that those who have believed have eternal life and those who have not are condemned already. He says, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. 
see that this is a um, verse that claims that those, the, the disciples, but obviously this leads on for all who would believe. We are, in, he talks about it in John 14, in John 6, in John 10 about uh, the Father giving this, this gift to the Son. These, these disciples and obviously us are, are given to the Son by the Father as a gift, as the bride, the, the bride of Christ, the church. All those who would believe and receive Jesus are added into the church. It's a spiritual body of those who receive the gospel message and are added into this spiritual organism called the church. This here is just a physical manifestation of that. God's church is not a Baptist church, per se. It's not a title. It's not an institution. It's all those who receive and believe Jesus are added into the church, which is Christ's bride. It's the Father's gift to the Son. And he's praying for them now. He says, these are the ones who've received and believed, and now I'm going to intercede for them. And I'm praying for them because you've given them to me. And that provokes the idea of adoption, of being pulled out of this world and into the family of God, pulled out of the first Adam and pulled, placed into the last Adam. And we see that all throughout Scripture, and John especially. We saw in John 1, verses 12 through 13, his prologue, his introductory to his gospel, John writes, but to all who did receive him, Again, receiving the message of Jesus. He gave them the right, the authority to be children of God. Who are those who receive him and are given this right to those who believe in his name. And he goes on to say, who were born, who were born not of a natural descent. Doesn't matter what natural or what descent you're coming from, what your genealogy is, nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. To all those who receive, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. We encounter Jesus, we are given this new life, and it is a gift of grace. God's demonstrating his love towards us. That we are pulled out, we are declared justified, yes, but pulled out of this world and into the family of God. In his first epistle, John writes this in First uh, John 3, verse 1. He's writing to fellow believers, he's saying, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be God, called God's children. What a great manifestation of love. That we're enemies and foreign and separate from God, but yet God has made a way for him to remain just, but yet demonstrate his love for humanity in sending his son. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And we are, he says. The reason the world does not know us is that they didn't know him. Again, the distinction. To know the Father through Jesus is eternal life world that does not know Jesus does not have eternal life. But us who have received this beautiful message, have received it and believed it and been born again, we are adopted into God's family. Paul writes it this way 
in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. And when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There it is. Adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, then God has made you an heir. What is an heir? You stand ready to inherit all things. Ephesians chapter 1, which beautifully demonstrates all the spiritual blessings we've been given as God's children as we receive the good news of Jesus Christ and believe and are made born again. We are given adoption in all. We stand ready to receive all that the Father has at his disposal. That is our salvation. No longer a slave. No longer a slave to sin that we're born into. We were made alive in Christ and adopted into his family as sons. And on this day as we celebrate earthly fathers, we have great appreciation for what God has done as a father figure. All of us, as we, after I were to talk or allow testimony, we would all have different definitions of our fathers and who they were, or where they fell short, or not even have a father, or they're in, in, in presence but not emotionally, or a good father. But the good news is we have a father in heaven who is perfect, as we discussed in our Sunday school, is immutable unchanging. He's a God of love, a God of holiness. He's all-knowing. He's, he's not going to change. He's a good, good father, as Jim said. And we get to celebrate him this morning, a father who has made a way for us to go into relationship with him, to be adopted into his family. And this is who Jesus is praying for. He's interceding for his disciples and ultimately us. He's a good, good father. And the second point that I'd like to bring out out of these just three verses is the believers, those who receive and believe Jesus, are to glorify Jesus. He says in verse 10, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. He's reciprocating the, the, the Godhead and the, the possession of, of all things that in his creation and demonstrating unity with the Father and all these things. And that he ultimately says, I am glorified in them. In the disciples. Ultimately, in us. The Westminster Confession, the first question that's posed in the Confession, the Catechism, the Westminster Catechism, is what is the what is man's chief end? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Because ultimately, we know it's 
scriptures declare it, that as we seek to live our life to glorify God, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, all these things that this world pursues, and then outside of that, a relationship with God, are made manifest in our lives as we pursue our God and seek to live Him out to glorify Him in our walk in this world. We get to glorify Him, but the, re- the end result of that is an enjoyment the fruit of the Spirit manifested in our lives. What a great salvation we have. And so, if we want to get just beyond the peripheral, how can we glorify Jesus? How can we do that in our lives? So here's some application for us this morning. Jesus is glorified, first of all, by saving us. You can't be made like Jesus unless you're saved by Jesus. There's all kinds of social programs and political systems and all these things claiming that we can make humanity better. But it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ where men and women can be transformed. And then that, as we proclaim the gospel message, as people receive the gospel and believe the gospel message, Jesus is glorified in that. Saving sinners like you and I, wretched sinners like you and I, taking them from that to being adopted into God's family. Jesus is glorified. And then we go on by trusting in him during this life. We can glorify God by trusting in him and his promises. And sometimes that's hard to do. You watch... Me personally, watch a little too much of the news. Begin to begin to get depressed, wondering what the heck's going on in this world. And ultimately, what I'm doing is I'm not placing my trust in the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God. And instead, I can use my life to trust Him in His promises in this life, in spite of what's going on in the physical. And by doing that, I'm glorifying Jesus. You can also glorify God to the degree that you live a holy life, a life separated from this world. God is holy, and he desires his people to be holy. And holy means to be separated, to be set apart from the world. And the beautiful part about the Christian walk and desire to seek holiness is that it's not a a desire manifested out of fear of what might happen if we don't. Because Jesus has paid that penalty. Jesus has paid the penalty for your past sins, your sins you're going to commit today, and your future sins. He's paid for it all. We've been, if you've believed and received Jesus, you've been adopted into God's family. We have now have peace with, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But yet, he desires us to live this holy life, this new heart that he's given us is a heart that we can seek after our God and glorify God in holy living because we're reflecting his good image and his goodness and his holiness to the world around us. It's a means in which we can glorify him. And we can glorify him by seeking to live a life that is set apart from the world to demonstrate his character around us and not the character of the world we can glorify Jesus by our confession of him before the world 
go into this dark world, we desperately need Jesus. And we can confess him. Jesus says, go ye and be witnesses unto the world, right? We can testify. Testify to his goodness and what he's done for us. For those around us. And in doing that, we're pointing, bringing into focus his goodness. And glorifying him in that. And lastly, our efforts to extend his kingdom. We can glorify Jesus in what we do with our time and our talents and our treasure. Are we kingdom-minded in those things? Sure, we can have fun. We can enjoy God's creation. But ultimately, we can live a life that seeks to extend his kingdom and live for him and for what he's doing in this world. And in doing so, and setting aside our own desires and living for him, we can glorify Jesus. The chief end of man is to glorify God doing so we can enjoy him forever and the third point i'd like to put bring forward this morning is committing to intercessory prayer that's the application of this jesus is praying for his disciples who will later pray for us for all who would believe but it's a discipline that god has called us to as his children as jesus intercedes for us we are to intercede for others John 17, 11. I am no longer in the world. He's, he's, he's walking to Gethsemane. Judas has already gone and told the soldiers where he's at. He's walking, lifts his eyes to heaven, begins to pray this prayer. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, here he is interceding. Protect them by your name that you have given me, that they may be as one. spiritual onslaught against the church of Christ. And Christ prays here for the disciples, but is ultimately our mediator who stands and makes intercession for us. But we see Christ's heart that we be unified and we be one. And he's asking the Father to protect him, our good, good Father. He's praying, Lord, to our Father, protect him. Protect him from the world. Protect him from the evil one. example of intercessory prayer and as I mentioned those who receive and believe and become adopted into God's family the scriptures in the New Testament again and again demonstrate to us that God desires us to pray for others to intercede on others behalf we covered this first in our online Bible study just a few weeks ago 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 this is Paul writing to Timothy He's writing to Timothy, saying, you need to go to Ephesus and be a pastor, and these are the things you need to do. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, again, interceding for others, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And verse 2, for kings and all those who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We are to pray for everyone. As it says, I urge you that prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for 
everyone, and then he highlights the political leaders, the kings, and all those who are in authority. There's often times when I turn on the news, I feel like I have no control over any of it. It's all just spinning out of control before my eyes. But I'm reminded this week that there is something I can do. I can pray to the leaders of my country. I can pray for everyone. I have the ear of God, the creator God, who happens to be my father. He's given us the opportunity to pray to him. And we see in scripture time and time again that God uses prayer as the means in which he acts in this world. It is the means in which he often uses, he doesn't have to, but he often, as you look at scripture, he uses the prayer of his people to act. It's not just something we do frivolously. We desire change in our country. The desire to maybe have the pendulum swung back. sit there. We need to intercede for our king, our president, and all those who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We are to be a praying people, a people that pray and intercede for others in a powerful tool of God. goes on to say, this is good and it pleases God our Savior, who has, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And I ended there because, yes, we pray and intercede for our country and we pray for our rulers and we, li- we live in peace and dignity, but ultimately all that matters, ultimately matters in the internal, with our eyes on the eternal things, are the salvation of those ones that love us eternal life that is to come. This world will one day end as we know it. Christ has promised to return and to judge, to set up the, the, the new world and, and the new heavens, and, and he will dwell amongst us. All these things that are we are promised. But until then, when Paul says to pray for everyone, we need to make sure we're praying for outside of Christ who have not received and believed that God would draw them to himself that the spirit would convict them of their need for Jesus and that they would turn and receive him as savior and be born again this is God's will he he desires his, his will desires that everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and that's not going to happen unless we are praying people and interceding for them. That's all I have for you this morning. Let's pray. God, we just love you and are thankful, Lord, for this opportunity to open up your word, to be shown, Lord, um, the heart of our Savior, the heart of our God. We're grateful to be reminded this morning that in spite of who our Father was here on earth, that we have a heavenly Father who is perfect, loves us, who is unchanging in that love, 
He's given us a way to be reconciled to him. He's given us a means in which we can live for him, to glorify him in our walk in this world. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us through Jesus. And God, we pray that you help us to reflect that goodness and his glory to those around us. We pray for those that we know who do not know Jesus, who have not received the good news that you have died for them and, and desires eternal life for them if they would only turn and receive and believe in Jesus' name. We pray for them as well. God, we pray for our country. We pray for our those who are the leaders. We pray that you would guide them and direct them and that you would intervene. That this country, our country, would reflect your goodness and your holiness this would be a bastion of light and not of darkness, God. We pray that you would turn the king's heart or the leader's heart, all those who are in, in leadership, Father. Our hearts are broken. And we just come to you in prayer, God, and ask that you would move, that you would glorify yourself. And all things that are happening, God, that we may be a people that can live in peace and enjoy a life as we pursue godliness in you, Lord. That the freedoms that we have in this country would be preserved. Lord, help us to continue our prayer for our country and for our leadership as we leave this morning. We need you, Father. We ask this in the name of Jesus.